0: All right. So this week we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2. And so the passage today says continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it in thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open us a door to the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account for which I am in prison. that i might make it clear which is how i ought to speak walk in wisdom towards outsiders making the best use of time let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt so that you might know how you ought to answer each person before we get into the message i kind of want to open with this idea this question of have you ever been in a place where your entire perspective or conviction has shifted you held one position, you held one conviction, and then you had an experience. You either had an experience with an idea or a person, or maybe it was a product, and it kind of just changed your life, or it changed your perspective in such a way to where you flipped sides, the side that you thought that you never would ever be on, but you had an experience in which you were brought onto this other side, this other idea, this other agenda, this other product, and then you actually fell more in love with this other side that you began to advocate even more firmly for it. Because once you were a skeptic and now you're a believer and you're like, the world needs to know, especially those other skeptics, they need to know what's going on over here too. That this idea, this product, this new thing on this side that I was once against that I'm now for is amazing and you need to know about it. Has that ever happened to you? I can think of a number of areas Where that has happened to me, where my ideology growing up has switched completely to the opposite end of the spectrum of the ideology that I carry now. Even my belief system from where I was young to where I am now, (laughs) there are certain products that I enjoy now that I used the other version of that product before in the past. And so we have these moments and times where we stand on the other side and we begin to advocate for it and we begin to advocate for it strongly and from a place of passion and conviction. And this is what Paul's doing. Paul was once working against the Christians, and on his road to Damascus, God intervenes in his life, blinds him, gets his attention, calls him to stop persecuting him, and restores Paul's sight. And Paul is converted to Christianity in a profound way, in a way that just changes his consciousness, in a way that he has to go and tell and share the good news that is from Christ. And this is what Paul is doing throughout this entire letter. He's advocating to a new people, to the people, to the church in Colossae, saying, this is who you are. Put away these old things. Put away these things that lead to death, but put on these new things now that lead to life, that lead to joy. And so Paul tells us as we walk through this letter, as we walk through kind of the last you know, months of sermons, he's been telling us that we're a new people. That we're a people that are to have our minds and hearts and eyes set towards heaven. Not as a place to go to and to escape to someday, but from a place to where we look and see heaven as the vision, not for tomorrow, but for today, here and now, with our friends and our neighbors and our loved ones and our families. He tells us to put on the new things of life, of put on humility and patience and love. He tells us to let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts and to rule and reign in our families. In the last couple of weeks we've been talking about the family, we've been talking about how our relationships have changed and how God is redeeming the relationship between the husband and the wife and He's redeeming the relationship between husbands and children and parents and children. And from this place of God doing new things, calling us to be a new people, a people where our consciousness has been changed, where our perspective has changed to a new way of thinking, to a new way of life and love and reconciliation through Christ. He calls us to be a people of prayer, to be a people that pray for one another steadfastly. To be a redeemed person is to be a person of prayer. And we see this echoed throughout the Bible. Echoed throughout the Bible is this command to pray. And I can be honest, it is hard to pray sometimes. It is hard to pray sometimes because I think sometimes we do one or two things with prayer. We either over-spiritualize it and we say, Oh, it's this holy thing to where like I've got to be in the right mood, in the right place at the right time and say the right words and do the right things and be ultra-spiritual about it if I'm going to pray. Or we under-spiritualize it and we say, yeah, I'll pray, but it's kind of like, I'll pray, but then I'll do everything in my power to like make it work. And you know I don't really trust that God's in control, but I'll, I'll maybe shoot a prayer out every once in a while. And so we just kind of downplay prayer quite a bit. And we're like, you know, it only works about 10% of the time anyways. And so, you know, I don't really see the need or the necessity to pray. And so in both cases, it leads us to the place of just not praying, of not taking this time to pray when we over-spiritualize it where we under-spiritualize it. And what Paul is saying here and encouraging us in the very first line is, he says, continue to be steadfast in prayer. This is an assumption that he has for us as believers, is that as believers, we would be continuing in this act of prayer. And throughout the Bible, we get this encouragement to pray all over the place. In Ephesians, I love Ephesians. Paul encourages us to pray all types of prayers with all types of hymns and songs. And I love that permission. Pray all types of prayers. Well, I was like, I don't care what you pray, just pray. Just get into the practice and the habit of praying. Jesus tells his disciples, when you pray, this is how you should pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is assuming that we're going to be actively participating in this practice of prayer. And he gives instructions as how we should go about doing that when we do go and pray. For Jesus, it's not if you pray, but it's when you pray. And it has this idea that we would do it regularly. Jesus models this life of prayer regularly by taking time away from his disciples, by going and meeting with his Father and conversing with him and being intimate with him and abiding in him. And he calls us to go and abide with the Father as well as he has, that we might know the Father's heart for our own lives and for the lives of all our people around us. He tells us to come and seek Him. And He says that when we seek Him, we will find Him. And that when we knock, the door is going to be open to us and that He is going to give us good gifts, that He is the Father that is good and that knows how to give us good gifts. And so there's this encouragement throughout the Scriptures encouraging us to be a people of prayer. And I just want to encourage us this morning that we would be intentional this week about being a people that are focused on being a people of prayer. The beautiful thing about prayer is that prayer requires some things from us. It requires, number one, that we are humble. And it's hard sometimes to be humble, but when we go to prayer, we're automatically admitting, I need help here. I need help here. For far too long, Christianity has tried to sit up and say, We are the religion for the strong, and that this faith is not for those who are weak. But I'd have to argue and say that the faith is exactly for those who are weak. And people will say, Jesus is not a crutch for me, my faith is not a crutch for me, and I would argue, our faith is exactly a crutch, and it's the exact crutch that we need. We're all broken, we're all weak, we all need the Lord's strength in our lives. And so we need to humble ourselves and just admit that. Just admit that I'm broken, I'm weak, and I can't do this on my own. And I need help here. For far too long, we've interpreted the passage where uh, Paul writes that God will not give us more than what we can bear when it comes to temptation. And we miss that it's talking about temptation. And we will put that nice verse on our Facebook and we'll say, look, God will not give us more than we can bear. And we'll hit period. Period. But the reality is is that day in and day out, I don't know about you, but if I'm going to be really honest, I face more than I can bear every day. I face more than what I can bear in this life. I would say that my life is a testimony of me not being able to handle myself well in everything that I feel like I've been called to bear in my life. And so we either make God a liar or we admit that, hey, maybe this verse is actually talking about temptation. And about that, he will provide a way out of temptation when temptation rises. And when he's saying that, (laughs) what he's not saying is that this life will not be more than what you can bear. Because what I see in Jesus is he's, he's saying, I understand this life is more than what you can bear. Come to me in prayer. You who are weak, come and find rest. You who are weak, come and find healing. You who are broken, come and find wholeness. It's an invitation for those who are weak, for those who are broken, for those who are overwhelmed. And I live with you guys. I know our weeks. I know our schedules. I know how overwhelmed we can be. And we need to become a people that turns more and more to prayer. Just this past week, I was overwhelmed with a situation in our family. And I was kind of freaking out about it, as I do. I'm a high-emotion person. I'm 100%. I'm like a soundboard, you know, you turn up the sound here and all the other ones kind of come down and, you know, turn up here. And so whatever this issue was in our family that week, the volume got turned up on full blast. And I'm like trying to figure out how to fix it, try to figure out how to, how to get it out on my own strength. And my wife's like, hey, how about we just chill for a second and we pray about it. And the cynic in me is like, yeah, sure, we'll pray about it. But we did. I humbled myself. I said, I don't have to control the situation, even though all I wanted to do was take the reins and say, we'll do it my way. But instead, we calmed down and we prayed. And amazingly, a couple days later, there was a surprise that happened that allowed me to turn that volume down. Well, the prayer was to turn the volume down, but throughout the week, there was an incident that happened that solved the problem that we didn't see coming. It came out of nowhere. And when it did, my wife was like, look, it's because we prayed. It's because we humbled ourselves. It's because we decided that we didn't have to control this. And I thank God for my wife, and I thank God for her wisdom. But this is what it's talking about when it says that we have to come and be humble. When we come to pray, it's humbling ourselves, just saying, God, I need you. I need help right now. This is overwhelming for me, and I can't bear it anymore. And so that's the first step to entering into this kind of continual prayer is this position of humility. The second thing is that it requires vulnerability. It requires vulnerability. And you kind of see that with humility because in humility you've got to admit I'm not strong enough. And that requires vulnerability. That says, man, this is going to be hard. I'm going to have to expose myself and say I'm not as strong as I think that I am or as what I want to appear to be. And it allows God to see our heart it allows God to see our brokenness. And that's not fun because we have to see our brokenness then. We have to be vulnerable with ourselves. But prayer makes us vulnerable. Prayer makes us humble. And then finally, prayer requires us to have faith. I mean, when we open our mouths and we say, Dear God, help me here. We are, we are saying, I believe that in you that, you that you, God, are good, that you, God, here, and that you, God, are going to move on my behalf. I mean, that requires profound faith to be able to open our mouths and to proclaim those words and to say, dear God. And I think we say it almost all too flippantly sometimes. Sometimes we just like, yeah, we're going to pray. We're going to pray real quick, dear God. And that is a profound moment of faith. It's a profound moment of humility. It's a profound moment of vulnerability and intimacy with the Father. And So I just want to deepen our prayer lives and deepen our perspective when we go to the Father in prayer. And finally, by practicing this, by practicing this act of prayer, by continuing in prayer, the beautiful thing is that it grows us in the relationships that Paul has been talking about before and about becoming this new type of people. If we go back in chapter 3, we hear that we were being formed in the image of our God. We're being recreated, and that we're to put on humility and love and steadfastness. And these are the things that prayer kind of just naturally by praying begins to grow and develop within us. It develops humility. It develops vulnerability. It allows us to engage in the relationships around us at much deeper levels because if I'm going to be humble before my God, I, there, eventually there comes a place where that translates into humility before my spouse, humility before my children, vulnerability in front of my spouse, vulnerability in front of my children, humility and vulnerability in front of the people that God has placed in my life around me. And so I just want to encourage us this week that we need to become a people of prayer if we're going to continue to grow in this new creation that God has called us to. It's this shifting of positions where we just say, all right, God has redeemed me. He's restored me. My conviction is that I need to be a person of prayer. I need to be a person of prayer. I need to be a person where Christ rules in my life. And it's not just this place where we pray on our own, but it's this place where we also pray together. Where we pray for one another. Where we come together in community and we let our burdens be known. We allow ourselves to be humble and vulnerable in front of one another. And we just get into it and we go to the Father and we pray and we lift each other up, encouraging one another. And this is one of the things I really want to encourage us in <laughs> because I know that we don't love talking out loud. I know that we have, as a church, you know, we tend to be introverted. We tend to not love to speak. And sometimes we have a really hard time formulating the right words to say. And that can be really, really intimidating when it comes to praying out loud. It's just like, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't, I, I don't know, you know, God already knows. So, so why do we need to speak? And I just want to encourage us that we need to grow in this practice of praying out loud for one another in the presence of one another. Because the Spirit can do powerful and tremendous things in that time. Powerful and tremendous things. That when someone is broken, when someone is vulnerable in community, and says, This is what's going on in my life. It's great when we go and say, Hey, I'm gonna pray for you. That's great. And then, well, oftentimes as we say, Oh, I'm gonna pray for you, and they're like, Okay, I guess I'm just gonna trust that this person's praying for me. But what's more, what's most interesting is that when we look at Paul and we look at the way that he authors most of his letters, he opens up with a prayer to them. He says, hey guys, I've been praying for you, and guess what, I've been praying these things for you. And he lists them. I mean, he spent the whole first half of the first chapter in Colossians just telling the Colossae people, this is how I'm praying for you. And you've got to believe that that had to have been incredibly encouraging to the people of Colossae. One, for Paul to know that they're praying for him, and two, what he's praying specifically about for them. And I want to say that that's true for us. That sure, it's good to say, hey, I'm praying for you. But what's even better and what's even more powerful is when we allow our prayers to be heard and spoken over one another. Because it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity for truth to be spoken. I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I come into community and I ask for prayer, it's because I'm believing some type of lie in my life. That there's some disruption of peace. There's something stealing away my hope. There's something stealing away my joy. And one of the best ways that those things can be restored is for somebody to come and speak truth over that situation. For someone to speak the truth that I need to hear in that place. For someone to come and speak love and grace and compassion. For someone to embody Christ in that space for me. So I just want to encourage us is that as we go and as we pray for one another, as we're in community groups together, that we would spend time praying out loud for one another. That it would be a place where we would encourage one another. And it's powerful. There was a time in college where I was at a retreat and someone prayed over me and they're just praying for me in this beautiful way. And they began speaking truths in my life that I didn't even know that I needed to hear. And I became this like weeping, sloppy mess of a person that was just incredibly broken. But I also walked away and probably ministered to and I felt forgiven. I felt peace in ways and places that I had not felt peace in a long time. I mean, this is the power that prayer has when it's spoken out loud. And sometimes it doesn't always end in this place of like blubbering, mess of complete brokenness. There's been plenty of times where Matt, Riley, and I, this is our community group, where we've gotten together, where we have just pray for one another, just simple prayers, just, hey, this is what's going on, simple prayers going on in each other's lives. And Riley or Matt will say something that I didn't even really talk about or maybe I touched on as like one of the most minor points of the whole conversation of the night. But for some reason, the Spirit of God raises up in them that they need to pray specifically about that. And they bring it up. And I'm like, why are they praying about that? I'm like, my major request was this. And then I hear them continue to speak and I hear God speak through them. And I walk away incredibly blessed. Like, man. They picked out, the Holy Spirit somehow in them picked out this one thing that I actually really needed prayer for this week, that I really needed to hear some truth about. So there's been plenty of times where I've walked away from just a basic community group, a basic prayer time, and I've gone home and I've texted these guys afterwards. I'm like, I've just let that prayer kind of sit and resonate. I'm like, man, thank you so much for prayer tonight. Thank you so much for praying for me. You don't know how God has blessed me in it. And that's the reality, is that we need courage. We need to be able to step up and trust that when we open our mouths, no matter what comes out, no matter how afraid, no matter how much we might not have the right words, that we we would ask the Holy Spirit to be able to have courage and to be able to pray and lift one another up in the body together. Because we need each other. And we need the Holy Spirit to be able to speak through one of us. Because I believe the Holy Spirit's in us, and I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us and through us towards other people that we would be ministered. And so if we're going to be a people of prayer, we need to be a people of, of private devotional prayer, but we also need to be a people of prayer that goes and prays and lifts up and ministers to one another by speaking truth over them. And then finally, we just need to pray big, audacious prayers. When Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you could take this mountain and throw it into the sea, he's not talking about physical mountains. He's using hyperbole. But what he's getting at is he's just saying, hey, go and pray some big, crazy prayers. Big, crazy prayers that would look like moving this mountain and throwing it into the sea. Because you all know that's ridiculous, right? You all know that like, that just doesn't happen. But what he's saying is that go and pray audacious prayers. Go and pray with one another that I would come and move the mountains that are in your life, that I would come and bring freedom where there is enslavement, where there is entrapment, where there is depression, that I would bring healing in those places of discouragement. Jesus is just kind of taunting us with that verse saying, hey, go and do it. Go and be radical. Know that I'm the good father that gives good gifts. Trust that you will be heard like I said, I get it. I get that prayer sometimes can be difficult. There's times where we go into dry seasons where it feels like God is 100 million miles away. There's times where we've been praying for a mountain to move in our lives, and it is not budging. And we've begun to get disillusioned with God. We begin to get frustrated with God. We begin to get disappointed with God. And this is why it's all the more important that we are in community with one another and that we're praying over one another, that we're vulnerable and humble with one another, that we can say, hey, I'm in this dry space and I have this mountain and it's just not moving. Would you pray over me? Would you give me courage? I love that the word encouragement is this idea of imparting courage because what we need is courage in this life. We don't need just affirmation, just say, hey, you're doing great, you're doing good. Keep up the good work, guys. What we need is we need courage to face the things that God has placed in front of us, things that are far too big for us to handle on our own, that we need him to come and move and give us hope and give us life. I mean, quite honestly, also prayer is difficult because we get sleepy. I don't know about you, but, I mean, the number of times that I fall asleep while praying, Although it's been some of the best times of sleep that I've had. I mean it really has. You know, I go to sleep, I'm just like praying about the peace of God and I feel like he's near and I feel I feel like it's blessed sleep. But in the Bible, we find much, a lot of times where like sleeping and praying have like incredibly negative connotations. Where Jesus and the disciples are together and Jesus is asked the disciples to pray and they fall asleep and Jesus comes back, he's like, guys, you're asleep. Like, wake up. We got important things to do. We got mountains to move. Wake up! And they go back and they fall asleep. again. Okay, he's like, come on, guys. Like, I just, I just need you to stay awake just a little bit more. And, and even Paul calls us, you know, rise, oh, ye sleeper, and awake. Be intentional about our prayers. So maybe sometimes it's good to pray in a place where we need good sleep and where we need the peace of God to come and put us to sleep. In other times, and in many times, we need to be intentional about setting aside time to pray intentionally, to pray for courage, where we can be intentionally vulnerable, where we can intentionally be humble, where we can intentionally bring our big, bold, and crazy, audacious requests to God. And the final thing that kind of makes it difficult is just that we're busy. We're busy people. We wake up at 6 a.m., we go to bed at midnight, we spend the night... Sometimes we get woken up by our kids, do it all over again the next day. Sometimes it's like, where do I have a minute to pray? And I'll say that all of our minutes will eventually get spent up unless we're intentional about setting aside some time to do it. And so maybe it's over our coffee in the morning. Because I don't I don't fall asleep over coffee. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm drinking that coffee to wake up. And so maybe it's just in the time that takes for the water to steep or the coffee to brew. That's like, that's my prayer time this morning. That's where I'm going to get humble. That's where I'm going to get vulnerable. That's where I'm going to get into it with God. And where I'm going to spend time in prayer. So that's just kind of the first sentence that Paul gives us here is, be people that are steadfast and continuing in prayer. And then he tacks on this idea of being watchful. He's like, being watchful. And what does this, this watchfulness mean? What does it look like? And I think that what it is, is this reflection It's this reflection on, one, where has God shown up in the past? Because we all need that, especially in dry seasons, especially when God feels a million miles away. We need to be able to look back and see, where has God been faithful with me and with my life up until this point? Because that will give us encouragement that he's going to be faithful even in this time where he feels forever away. I think the second thing about this being watchful is this question of, where am I starting to take control where God needs to be in control? Where are some places where I'm trying to grab the reins and do it on my own and do it on my own strength and my own power and where he is kind of just tapping me on the shoulder saying, hey, let me take this from you. Let me take this from you. I mean, this week when this conflict came up in our family and I was like ready to grab it, it, I believe that this being watchfulness was built up in my wife and she's tapping me on the shoulder. She's like, hey, let's just give this to God. Let's just give this to God. Let's. And then later this week, she had something in her life where she's like, oh my goodness, I need to take control of it. And I was able to tap on her shoulder. I was like, hey, 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 let's, let's just take this to God. And she's like, you're right. This is like the same, same. And I'm like, yes. But we were being watchful for one another. We were, we were watching out for one another that we would be a people of prayer, that we'd continue to give up the reins to God. And so the question this week is, what am I holding on to that God has asked me to let go of? And I get it. I'm a person who, in reflection, in being watchful, I've been processing with my discipleship group that week after week, I mean, I just met with them this last week, and I was like, hey, I'm really struggling with this idea of like having to be in control of things and letting God be in control of it. They're like, yeah, sounds like you've been having this problem for the last two months. And I was like, really? They're like, oh, yeah. This, This is a normal pattern for you. And I was like, oh, thanks. Thanks for at least, you know, Being clear about that, um, they're like, yeah, let's pray about it, you know. And then praying about it, they're giving me courage and they're giving me eyes to see. You know, this past week, because of them, I was trying to be even more watchful of where I'm trying to grab control and where God's saying, hey, let me have control. Hey, let me have peace. Let my peace rule here in this place. And so the question is, where is God tapping us on the shoulder? How can we grow in being watchful? How can we invite people into being watchful with us in community and being vulnerable and humble in that? What is God saying to you? This question of discipleship, very simple question to grow in discipleship. is just, what is God saying to you? And take that answer into community so that people can hold you accountable so that when you're eight weeks in, someone's like, yeah, God's been saying the same thing to you for eight weeks. You can be like, oh, man, because it felt brand new this week. They can be like, yeah, you you need it new this week. But it's something that God is trying to get our attention of, to be watchful. And then finally, he kind of ends the sentence with this command of thanksgiving. And this thanksgiving is a refrain that we see pop up time and time again, especially through the book of Colossians, especially through chapter 3. I mean, I think chapter 3, the words be thankful are listed at least three times. He's like, and be thankful, and be thankful, and be thankful. And so he says this this phrase, you know, go and pray, be a people of prayer, and be thankful. What Paul's getting at here is this idea of contentedness in all things. Because where is Paul? Paul, at this point, he's in prison. And what's he in prison for? He's in prison for his faith. An incredibly discouraging place to be, if we're being really honest. You know, you're in prison, you're in chains, it's not fun. He can't do the work that he wants to do. He can't go from church to church. He's forced to write these letters. Not the most encouraging and exciting job. And here he inserts this refrain, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. And then he tells us, he tells us what this contentment looks like or what Thanksgiving looks like if we look at how he prays next or what he asks the people of Classe to pray for him about. He says, hey guys, pray for open doors. And he's not talking about the doors to the prison to come flying open. That would make sense. But instead he says, pray for open doors so that the mystery of Christ might be made known to these people and that I might have clarity when I speak to them. It's amazing. Paul doesn't ask to be released from his circumstance. But instead he's praying Out of thanksgiving, that he might have the courage to face what God has put before him. That is a mountain that he cannot move on his own, but that he would have courage where God has placed him to minister, and that there would be open doors for the word of God to spread through the people that he's around, through the guards, through the prison, through the leadership of the Roman guard where he's at, and that he would do it with clarity. I mean, what an amazing prayer. And I believe that he's able to do this because he's content. He's content in all things, even a prison in which he's in chains. And that is that is just mind-blowing. But I believe that this is the Thanksgiving that Paul is calling us to, is that we would be thankful in all things because when we're thankful and when we're content in the place that God has positioned us in, is when we're going to be best to be able to serve. We're going to be able to best love. We're going to be able to best pray and minister for. Other people. And so this is what Paul is calling us to do. And that our prayer would become his prayer. That we would be a people that asked God for open doors in our circumstances. That we would find contentment in the places that God has placed us. And that we would also have clarity to speak the truth of the mystery that is Jesus Christ to those that are around us. And to me, this was a huge challenge. This is a huge challenge to my prayer life. Because when I reflect, when I watch my prayer life, when I look back, a lot of times, most of the time, it's for God to come and change my circumstance. A lot of times, it's like, I feel pain. I'm like, I don't like pain. I'm like, God, take the pain away. It'd be awesome. And sometimes he does, and I praise God for it. But man, when I came across this passage from Paul, Paul's in prison and he's just like, hey guys, pray that there'd be open doors and that I'd have clarity. I'm like, what? You're not asking for freedom? You're not asking that you'd be set free? You're not he's not whining? Paul challenged me immensely here where, where I'm like, all right, I need to just start asking for courage and open doors right where I'm at. I need to be able to ask God to take the pain that's in my life and transform it in a way that I can bless and love and care for others. And So I hope that you guys can be challenged in that same way through Paul's prayer for himself as he is in prison, that we would be a people that not only pray to God and ask big, deep prayers, that people not only that we pray for others and with others, but that we would also be a people that are praying to God and seeking opportunity, seeking open doors, to share the good news, to share the gospel, to be loving, kind, hospitable, humble. And that when we would do it, that we would be wise towards the outsiders. I love that he gives us that. He says, be wise and full of grace when it comes to outsiders. And I think the way that we're wise with outsiders is that we first shut up and listen. We listen to them and then we listen from God and then we speak what God has for them in love and kindness and mercy in ways that bring encouragement, the ways that bring joy, the ways that bring life. In Ephesians, Paul tells us to be a person of grace and to speak gracefully is to be a person that has no corrupting talk come out of our mouth. But only things that are good, that are building up, that it it gives life to those who hear. I love that. It's from Ephesians 4.29. That we would be a people that no corruption comes out of our mouths. To be honest, that's hard to do. In Galatians, he says, stop complaining and keep doing what is good. That one hits you across the face, too. It's like, man, but I love complaining. And you know what's at the root of complaining? A heart of ingratitude. It's this place where we're not thankful. It's this place where we're not content. And so Paul's calling us to this place of, hey, come and find yourself content. Come find yourself thankful. And from that place, go and serve. Go and give grace. Go and give love. Go and give peace that you've been given. Let no corruption come out of your mouth. And then he says that our conversation should be seasoned with Salt kind of a weird idiomatic phrase there, seasoned with salt. What does that mean? I've heard it translated sometimes that, well, you should talk in a way that gives thirst, that raises questions, that might produce a little bit of shame in them. So they might ask, oh, do I really need God? That's not what this is talking about. When he says, let your talk be seasoned with salt, he's talking about let your life, let your speech be given in life. Let your Speech be given in such a way that there's wit, that there's candor, that there's maybe even a little bit of joking or some bantering, that there's some cunningness. What he wants us to see is that he wants us to speak in a way that gives life. Because in this time, salt was used as a preserver. It was used in a way that preserved the meat and allowed life to remain. And so when he says, let your speech be covered in salt, what he's talking about is, Have fun. Let's not be the Christians that are boring and downtrodden and praise Jesus, you know, but that we would have life, that we'd have joy because of who our God is and because of what he's done in our lives. You know, today we talk about people that have salty language. I think the idiom has kind of moved a little bit, you know, because salty language today means like kind of coarse or joking, but if you take that coarse joking, you know, back a couple steps, you know, and just like, you know, knock, knock the coarseness off of it. You know, salty language then becomes this place of like, just wit and candor and bantering and, and having fun. And a spirit in which there is life that's given and transmitted back and forth. And so this, and he says that it's through wisdom, and it's through having our words seasoned with salt, that we should know how to respond. And so it's through wisdom it's through this kind of saltiness of our language that we should respond to those who are outsiders. That we should love on them. That we should care for them. That we should bring life to the conversation. And so the question I have for us this week is, is, where has God placed you? Paul was placed in a prison. He's asking for open doors. Where has he placed you to have a heart for there to be open doors? Who in your life are you praying for right now that they might come and know Christ? Are there family members? Are there co-workers? Is it the city? Is it the nations? You know, one of the things that we've been doing as a church and I want to continue to encourage us to do is, and it's in this vein of praying together, is that we've been having a prayer night once a month. We've been trying to revive the prayer meeting at Damascus Road. And we come together and we pray for the city, we pray for the church, we pray for families, we pray for kids, we pray for the nations, and we pray together. And I want you to know that hearing the hearts and the spirits of the men and women of this church cry out for those that God has placed a burden on their heart, that God would open a door so that they might be ministered to is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever witnessed. And I just want to encourage you maybe to just come and be blessed by that. And so our prayer night is happening July 9th at 6.30 to 7.30. There's child care provided um, at the Park Street location. So I just want to encourage you to come out and just be blessed, but also may it be a place where you can come and just ask God for there to be open doors publicly with others and that we would have the courage and the strength to reply with wisdom and with salt and life to these people because God has placed us in a specific place and he wants to use us there. And so maybe you're in a place where you're like, man, I don't have a list of people that I'm praying for. I don't have an idea of coworkers. I really don't have an idea. And that's okay. That's a, maybe it's a new idea for us this morning to have eyes and ears open to hear from God. Who is God asking us to go and pray that there be openness and that we would speak with clarity. I mean, that should give us peace as the people who are afraid to know which words to pick or which words to choose, that we would ask God, God, give me the words to say. Give me that salty language that I need to love on these people. God, give me the peace. What I love is that both in Matthew and Luke, I mean, he's talking about getting arrested, but it's this place where you have to go and be a testimony. He says, hey, whenever you have to come and be a testimony for me, don't worry about what you're going to say, but trust that the Holy Spirit's going to come and give you the words to speak. And So let's not allow our own inabilities, our own weaknesses to slow us down in this place. Let us go out from this place and be bold, like Paul is calling us to be. Let our perspective be shifted this morning as a redeemed people, as a people that go and pray, as a people that pray for and with one another, and a people that go out seeking and asking the Lord for opportunity so that more people might know and love him. And so this week, your call might be to pray with others. I'll not tell you how many times that I've gone up to somebody not a believer. They're just going through a really hard time. And the thing that breaks my heart the most is that some people that are not believers, they will be very public and very open about their suffering. But, and it's because they don't know what to do with it or where to go with it. And everyone kind of has sympathy for them. and is like, oh, that really is hard. And what breaks my heart the most is that when that meeting is like, oh, that's really hard, and then people just go their separate ways. There's been times where I've been a part of public meetings where I'm just like, can we just stop and like pray for them? But to do so would be outlandish and crazy. But what you do is you go up to them afterwards, or maybe they're venting to you and they're not a believer, and they're telling you about their suffering. Instead of you just saying, oh, man, that's really tough. Let me go get my groceries at Woodman's now. You say, hey, can I just stop and pray for you? 99% 99% of the time, believer, not believer, they're going, to be at, they're going to be open and receptive to prayer at that space. They're going to be open and receptive to the Holy Spirit speaking into their lives. And God has placed us, I believe, in those places to be a minister. When it says to minister to people, it's to speak life into their circumstance, into their trial. And so maybe this week God's just calling us to pray more with other people. Maybe he's calling us just to be present to tell other people, to see and hear, and then speak with wisdom to their situations. Maybe it's a place where we need to go serve and serve from a place of thanksgiving. Maybe instead of grumbling and griping at work or in our family or wherever God has us to serve, that we would just go with a contented and joyful heart. And this is where we go to the place that I think is the place where we need to meditate the most on it. If we're going to do this and if we're going to do this well, we need the peace of Christ to reign in us. I love the verse that we have in Colossians chapter 3 where Paul says, let the peace of Christ reign. Because one, it's a place where we have to give permission to allow Christ to reign. And two, when we let him reign, we're no longer in control, but he is. It's this constant battle that we have within ourselves to take that back from him But what I find is that as soon as I take that back from him, peace doesn't come. And when I do stop and when I do pray and when I do give the reins back to him, peace comes. That doesn't mean that the trials go away. That doesn't mean that the pain dissipates. But there is a peace that goes beyond understanding, that goes beyond circumstance that comes over me. It gives me the strength and the courage to face the things that God has brought me to. And that he has called me to go through. And I know that that is also true for us. And so as we go to worship, I want us to just spend some time in prayer. I'm going to spend some time in silent prayer, just hearing from God, maybe speaking to God. I believe that God has called us in this place to, to pray about some specific things that might be going on in our lives. I don't know what that is. And then I'm going to close us in prayer, and then our worship team is going to come back up, and we're going to celebrate that we serve a God that listens, that we serve a God who cares, that we serve a God who calls us to pray big, audacious prayers, that we serve a God who has not left us alone but has called us into community and that he speaks through one another through his spirit and that he loves us, that he would give himself up on the cross for us. So, yeah, let's spend some time in prayer, speaking to him, hearing from him. Father God, we humbly come to you this morning acknowledging our brokenness, acknowledging that we cannot do this alone, acknowledging that you are holy and that it's by your grace that we are holy and that we come before you. God, I pray that you would break us of our independence. God, we're a country, we're a people that is based on rebellion and breaking free and seeking independence We're a people who pride ourselves on our strength and our own abilities God I pray that you would break us of that and God that we would see dependence especially dependence upon you as a good thing that we would see interdependence upon you and the body of Christ as a good thing, as a safe place, as a place where we can be vulnerable, a place where we can be humble, and a place where you can speak and we can hear you clearly and where we can walk away blessed as redeemed people. God, I pray that you would give us the courage that we need instead of the release that we keep asking for. And God, I pray that you would give us freedom in places where the enemy has a stronghold. God, we ask that you would give us the grace. We pray that you would give us the wisdom. We pray that you would give us the words to speak to those that you want so desperately in your kingdom. Lord, give us names of people that we can actively be asking for open doors this week, for open doors this month, for open doors this year. God, we admit that we cannot do this without you, that we're overwhelmed every day, and that we need your strength in our lives. Lord, give us your strength. Give us your joy. Give us your life. We thank you for your son and the life that he's given to us. In your name we pray. Amen.